0: Hello, and thank you for joining me for episode two of the Speaking of Solidarity podcast. You are about to hear this amazing episode with myself and Casey. Get ready for this exciting and informative episode. Thank you for listening. And thank you for joining me, Mo, on Speaking of Solidarity Podcast. I have a guest with us today. Today, we will be talking to Casey. Casey is a diversity, equity, and inclusion coach. And I have been looking forward to this connection because, of course, their vision, values, and goals align with the Solidarity and Co. vision, values, and goals. So I thought, hey, why not introduce you all to Casey without further ado? Hi, Casey. Hey, Laura, and everybody listening. Hello, listeners, as well. Yes. Um, so thank you so much for joining me today. Could you tell us a little bit about what you do at Beyond Thinking?
1: So I do a lot of coaching, facilitation, and some training as well. It mostly in the anti-racism, DEI spaces. But I've been doing the work for close to twenty, close to twenty years, um, and I've just had the privilege of getting to learn so much and do amazing things with amazing human beings and uh, but I had been working in institutions. And uh, as I'm sure everyone knows when you're in an institution, the work always hits a ceiling. And so uh, I decided to go out on my own and work with folks uh, interested in leaning
0: into the work in a deeper and more meaningful way. Yes, I I recognize that. And so That leads me actually into my first question for you. So I kind of wanted to ask, you know, what were you doing before you started Beyond Thinking? Could you tell us a little bit more about that work? Because I already know that you were doing some great things. So for about
1: 12 years, I worked for the city of Seattle and I was in emergency management doing community engagement and I, um, I was I was awesome. I loved getting to be in community and working with communities that traditionally weren't being engaged by the government. And I mean, more than anything, I learned a lot and did a lot of just resource connecting. And it was just great. It was a great, great job. Uh, But emergency management falls under the police department in Seattle. And so um, I got a call from headquarters one day that was like, you're a trainer. You work with different people. You're going to train our officers in anti-profiling. So I panicked, well knowing I was woefully ill-equipped for such a task. (laughs) And my boss was like, I think it's a great idea. Uh, And I was like, panic. Uh, So I took every community course I could take. I took every training that I could. I was like meeting up with people who I knew were engaged in like varying levels of doing that kind of like organizing movement building community work. And then I met with somebody from the Office for Civil Rights who later became my mentor. Uh, And she was like, hmm, Have you ever complained about policing? Mm, maybe. And she's like, people have been banging on this door for a few hundred years, and you just got an open invitation to walk through. Are you really not going to take it? So I like to consider that the greatest call-in of my life. (laughs) And I was like, okay, here we go. Uh, And so I did that for three years, uh, both uh, training officers on anti-profiling as well as like reviewing police policy for where bias uh, might exist and and from that my career just changed. Then I started, you know, I was involved in the race and social justice initiative for the city of Seattle for over 10 years and actually finished my time at the city working in the Office for Civil Rights uh, overseeing their training and education program.
0: Wow. So this is not a job interview at all, right? (laughs) But I feel like you have this incredible resume, this incredible background that really makes sense to why you are currently coaching um, through your own platform. And so a lot of that, uh, that you were just saying about like coaching um, police officers, uh, reviewing policy for uh, biased and or for bias and then also like working in the civil rights department working in racial justice um, environments (sighs) when I tell you that is such a breath of fresh air to Mm. hear from someone who is non-black Um, I just want to commend you on doing that work. I can imagine how tough it was. Um, And then also commend you on doing what you are doing now, because I know that some of our listeners um, have worked with coaches or have been in uh, diversity, equity and inclusion spaces, right? And we're all learning and you kind of help people to learn more. So. Hopefully
1: Hopefully. and I, you know, it's, it's so interesting because I've been, I've been so fortunate to be surrounded by brilliant and amazing, mostly women like black and brown women, uh, who have invested an incredible amount of energy and labor into my learning, right? And so I think one of the things that I think about all the time is like part of my job is honoring the gift that was provided to me and recognizing the fact that you know I was not born I mean I was born without bias but I didn't get to adulthood without absorbing a lot and you know I feel so privileged that I was taken under multiple wings to kind of help help me reflect Help me to excavate Help me to reality test and perception test ideas thoughts, beliefs that I have kind of absorbed throughout time and I recognize that like that's labor I want to put into folks too and you know I have heard pretty consistently from folks that um, us white people are pretty tiresome uh,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't and, feel that I don't feel that at all <laughs>
1: And, and that's okay, like I, I, I get that, right? Like I get it, like that's okay. And so what I like to do is be the person be like, send me your white people. Just send me a white people. If you don't wanna answer that question, if you're tired of it,
0: send me a white people. Yeah. Oh, that reminds me of a poem that I wrote. Um, it was called Say More, but in that poem, I talk about how if you say it, literally the line is, if you say it and it sounds true, someone may listen to you. And so that just emphasizes it, right? It was a very like Dr. Seuss poem mm-hmm. about speaking up for racial justice. And it was one of the first poems that I ever shared in the creative community here. Um, so yeah, I I'm, I'm love that that full circle moment. Uh, Casey, next I wanted to ask you um, about, right? The new state. like what are you doing now and how can people connect with you now? You just said, send me your white people. <laughs> <laughs> so they said that, not me, okay? That's right. Um, and That's so true. how do we connect with you now?
1: Yeah, so I both have a very long website because uh, my you'll understand why in just a second. Uh, but it's www.beyondthinkingwithkasey.com. And it's beyond thinking because there's i feel like we are at this um challenge point where for folks no matter what dimension of diversity folks are struggling with or have like maybe unconscious bias around we have to get past the intellectualizing we have to get past the like intellectual understanding and more into the embodiment right like move it past that let it live in you like There are so many people who can answer more trivia than I can. I mean, hands down on every topic, but I I think about how in practice, like I feel pretty confident about the way that I show up um, to the work, right? And so I I think that that's it. It's like, I wanna get folks past thinking uh, or understanding in the intellectual sense into the embodiment uh, so that when like, you see violence on the tv or you see violence in the news or you see rhetoric or coded talk or whatever that you know, you feel activated and impacted to step in to lean in um and to operate in solidarity with folks so that it's not always on the folks who are being harmed uh to speak up
0: wow that's the clip that's the clip that i will share to promote this episode and you guys are hearing the inside (laughs) behind the scenes scoop right now (laughs) that's it right getting past just thinking and embodying it Mm -hmm. um and so that really attaches to my my kind of candid way of saying it right is about owning it own it if you are feeling this way if you feel like there's wrong own it and activate and so I think that's really what advocacy is in a nutshell. You know, yeah. I own that. Yeah, I can see the wrongs and things. Um, and instead of just sitting by idly, scrolling on my feed, right? I chose to do something. And I love what you're doing, Casey. So I'm super glad to have you today. Thank you for that amazing clip. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, no, thank you so much. I feel like you are lifting up the voices of many uh and like in also like sharing that whole platform but like the investment of love and the interconnectedness of it all um and i just really appreciate you taking a risk to to launch solidarity uh and and also like lean in in a hard way that honors your truth uh, and and. And also demonstrates how we are interconnected, how, how liberation, how solidarity, like they're interconnected. Uh, no one's free till we all are, right? Like that's that's yes. been a phrase for a long time. Uh it's still true.
0: Fanny Lou Hamer, shout out Thank to the you. great Southern yeah. activist Fannie Lou Hamer. And so with that being said, right, when we are doing this work and coming from an underprivileged black community i understand like right, the obstacles that we have to overcome the adversity that we face and it almost seems compounding when you look at the trajectory trajectory of someone's life right from maybe even as a queer person from the time that you come out to the time that like you are now existing in this world um, and Really, once I started to learn more, um, I realized what those obstacles were. Um, and so could you share with us like, some of the things that you had to overcome to being who you are now and embracing what you do? Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: yeah, I will try to uh, be as succinct as I can. Um, I mean, I grew up in kind of a smaller town, very white, Uh, But in a household, I mean, granted, this is like the 70s, 80s and 90s, right? So like, there was so much stigma around so many things. Uh, Not that there's not now, but like, uh, you know, I was growing up in a household with a parent who had a lot of mental health uh, stuff going on. And because it was so stigmatized, like they got diagnoses, but they wouldn't take treatment because they didn't want to be seen as, I don't know, ex, which meant that we had a really volatile home. Uh, And I got kicked out of my house when I was 17, uh, and not for being a queerbo. I got kicked out because I got accepted to college. And according to my parent who suffered with mental health, Uh, I was too stupid and not uh, worth anything other than being of service to them. Like, that was it. Uh, So like, those were the messages I was absorbing. I was also, I also grew up very Catholic. A lot of messages were getting absorbed there. Like, I really wanted to be an altar boy and I couldn't understand why I couldn't, right? And so just a lot of these messages that were like, you're not good enough, you're not worth much, And nobody likes you. Um, And so when I got kicked out, for because I wasn't supposed to apply to college. uh, So when I did, uh, I came home from work and my mom had gotten the mail and was like, Oh, what is this? Chaos ensued. Um, And I knew, I knew in that moment, I was like, this, this is it. This is my out. Like, this is my out. so I hustled and I worked so many jobs. I mean, always three at a time, right? Like always three at a time. Sleeping in my car, couch surfing, um, crashing at, at the, on the theater department's couch. Thanks for that. Shout out to them. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I just like I knew I knew that that was the only way that I wasn't going to like stay in a volatile violent home but of course i I didn't escape unscathed right i was very angry i was very traumatized i uh and my anger presented in the self of like my defense mechanism was like "Ah, ah, ah." are you gonna try to see me i'm gonna like achilles heel cut you with like some sort of a what i think might be your insecurity So I also caused a lot of harm, (laughs) even through my own like traumatized survival period. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the things that occurred was like, I just didn't understand everything, anything really at that time period. And it wasn't until later, like I still think I had that hustle survivalist mentality, uh, still very defensive terrified just so terrified um i had a parent who tried to kill me on more than a few occasions and it just was like scary and so i mean i'll tell you it's not like i entered this field with grace and ease um you know after i got told like you're gonna go do this no train officers one of the trainings i took um was where they were like, you know, the depth you know, everybody has bias, right? And then there's like, and if you add societal privilege to it, right? Like, and so like their thing was like, well, if everybody has bias and if white folks have societal privileges, doesn't that equate to all white folks being racist? Uh, so I was like, what right because i grew up in the time period <laughs> i mean like i don't want to act like i have things figured out even now but i definitely didn't then and i was defensive i was so defensive uh and was just like my life was hard and blah 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 you know i mean i'm sure you and your listeners have heard this before right probably many yeah. times uh-huh a million and, yeah. uh and uh I went dancing that night, like partner dancing uh, with somebody who I thought was cute. And they were like, how's your day? And I was like, let me tell you about my day, right? Because I was like seeking out white solidarity in assurance that I was a good white person. Um, And they turned around and they were like, yeah, that's right. And like, I was like, huh. Mm. And then I had to be like, why am I hearing it from why can't I hear it from this person and not from those two BIPOC folks who were leading the course, right? Like who were leading that training. Um yeah. and that just like that was the first, I think the first real like deep, deep reflection I started to do. And and for any of my fellow white people who are listening, I just want to say, like, if you are activated, if you are like trying to figure out what to do, reflection is one of the best things we can do. It's one of the best and most important actions we do. And it's so frequently overlooked. Um, and so, you know, that was yeah. the beginning of my reflection. And I was just really lucky because I think the, the recipe, uh, the recipe for like my awakening, if you will, <laughs> uh uh which i just want to be clear that i do not feel awake i feel like i'm still like the sleepy eyes trying to like figure things out stuff is still fuzzy because i'm still learning but i'm still leaning in right like i want to be real clear about that um but but it was like this moment of like oh i have seen nothing uh and then i bought this book that was called lies my my teacher told me um And it like, I was like, oh my God, like I was learning to pass tests. I wasn't learning about reality. Um, And so so that was a big part of it, but I had this great recipe, right? Like I had an actively violent parent um, and I know that seems like not a gift, uh, but I think what it did was, you know, I would hear people when I was in a training being like, this feels unsafe. And I was like, I feel incredibly safe. Uh, yeah, it's hard. It, this is hard conversation. It's forcing me to feel uncomfortable. But I'm, I'm definitely safe. Uh, and so I think that that was such a gift, because it, it helped me to kind of being like, well, I never, yeah, this is a hard talk, but I don't feel unsafe. And so that never, never showed up. Um, and I just was lucky, right, like I was going through a really intensive three year program that was like unpacking racism, as well as like part of a capacity building movement that was also um, intended to kind of like, get you to a place that then you were mentoring people and pulling people in and lifting folks up. It was very incredible. Yeah. So I had that. Uh, no uh i was helping to run an all ages uh poetry slam
0: uh,
1: okay yeah uh, yes
0: poetry <laughs> yeah
1: and i was mostly an mc like cuz turns out um i can write a good story but i'm not a oh, poet uh not a very good one and so i was like how about i mc and you know i think i had the right combination of art and community and, uh, and like intensive space where I was learning and doing the work, right? Like it wasn't just like, you can read this article. Mm-hmm. It was like, great, you're gonna read that article, then we're gonna have a mixed race conversation about it. And then uh, you're gonna go and bring it back to your workplace and we're gonna ask your bosses to uh, um, let us know what they learned. Wow. Right. Like, Intense. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, it yeah. was great uh it was great well and so I, that I ex- me
1: here
0: sorry no um say that last thing again please
1: uh wait the part about like and then your doctor direct your boss has to like report what they learned
0: <laughs> okay
1: yeah um and then you said something after that this okay. is where that brain injury just kind of like really gets in the way. <laughs>
0: well this will be edited for sure but um to say the least like i asked you about your um, obstacles and Mm -hmm. struggles and things of that nature because i really have um an affinity for everyone learning at this stage um Mm -hmm. where you kind of identify, right? I want to be in solidarity. I believe that we all can work together towards this common goal of changing these systems of oppression. And next, you have to get into doing the work, right? But we all experienced obstacles and had hurdles to jump over um, to getting to where we are. Um, So, so many things that you were saying really impacted me, um, just from the experience that you had growing up the acceptance into college even though you weren't supposed to apply um and i recently watched a ted talk where a lady was discussing i forget her name but she is um, highly reputable and she was discussing how a lot of things that she was she wasn't supposed to be she wasn't meant to be right but because of luck because of the interconnectedness um because of uh, people who were uplifting her, she, as a BIPOC woman, um, passed all of the, the bars and expectations that people had set for her, or that she even deemed possible for herself. And so, Casey, not only um, do I want to embrace your obstacles uh, that you've had to overcome to get where you are, um, I think it also helps us to learn a little bit more about how we can learn from you, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think people assume that non Black people um, don't always have the same lived experience. But what I've learned through solidarity is that we all have our struggles. Mm -hmm. And so when we find out what each other has gone through, um, then you can find that source of humanity, right? Mm -hmm. Or you can identify the intersectionality. And there you find a bit of connectedness. Mm -hmm. And so. Ideally, I want to talk to you about the intersectionality of it all, how those roads cross for you and where you felt or found your sense of refuge. Because intersectionality for me actually identifies how we're not safe on one side or the other side. But when you realize that all of these roads are crossing, you find some type of refuge. Is that the same Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I you know, it's so interesting because I feel like so many people I know that especially who have like minoritized identities. And I and I used the word minoritized because people are not minorities. Uh, It's systems that have minoritized folks. Um, But I I find that most folks with minoritized identity, like very rarely have one. (laughs) Uh, And and I think about that piece, too, of um, something that, that I think was just so painful uh, to like witness and, and hear was in so much of the circles that I was running with, people were like, well, I either have to choose. I'm either like Black here or I'm queer here, but people don't see both, right? Or yeah, I'm queer here but also people don't know how to deal with uh, like my neurodiversity or like a physical disability. Uh, and so like just listening to people consistently being like, well, which, which identity do I shrink so that I can enter the space to have this part of me seen? And, and that piece of like, we talk so frequently about how important authenticity is uh, and how can we be authentic when our full selves isn't being valued and appreciated um, or or like lifted up or believed. Oh. Uh, and so I think that the idea of like intersectionality for me was very much just from the work that I was getting to do and the collaborators that I had was like recognizing that uh, the shape shifting that they had to do was like more multidimensional than the stuff that I was having to do. Not that like it was great, but like it was different and and more vast, right? Like it was more complicated. And so I think that that became something really
0: important to me very early on. Um, The same thing for me, you know, I talked to you about how important intersectionality was to me even embracing myself as an advocate because I, for so long, did not have the, the verbiage, right? Mm-hmm. Um, to be able to truthfully express my experiences. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I learned uh, about intersectionality, this term coined by a black woman, a mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Kimberly Crenshaw, it really helped me to identify my experience in a way that I had never before. So it was almost mm-hmm. like a light bulb came on was like Mo this is why you feel like Mm -hmm. you don't fit in anywhere. This is why you feel like you're always standing out. This is why you feel like you can't express yourself Mm -hmm. um, adequately and it wasn't because of my lack of intellect or intelligence. It was just that society hadn't given me the tools and so As my partner was taking a a class, she's a minor in Women and Gender Studies, I picked up her textbook, randomly flipped to a page one day, I like to read, and there goes Kimberly Crenshaw's term. Mm -hmm. And I mean, it was as if this was a line, right? I wasn't in the course, I wasn't in college. It was not supposed to happen. I was not supposed to be an advocate. (laughs) Um, I was supposed to be a rapper, believe it or not but now I you can, stand you can be both I, I am a rapping poetic advocate and so that is really the beauty of this term right is that now I realize that at times I was not um, able to get adequate protection because I was a woman um, at times I was not able to get adequate protection because I was black At times, Mm -hmm. I was not able to get adequate protection because I was a lesbian. Um, Mm -hmm. At times, I was not able to have adequate experiences or opportunities because I came from an underprivileged family and didn't have Mm -hmm. access to financial means. So, Mm -hmm. all of those things in the corporate uh, environment were compounded. Mm -hmm. And as I tried to navigate that, you know, I found it was, it was actually not the best space for me to be in mentally and Mm -hmm. I chose to start my own thing as you are now doing your own thing and so we are uh in that same boat right um I was having a talk where I talked about us all being um kind of in the water trying to keep our heads above water
1: right Mm -hmm.
0: and a lot of times society tells us right that we just need to concentrate on helping ourselves stay afloat. That mm-hmm. ties back to the sense of individuality that you were talking about as one of your your obstacles or isolating as one of your obstacles. And so for me, I just have now um, attached to this idea that not only am I able to keep myself afloat, but I can help other people to afloat mm-hmm. and then we can all have a party on the river. That's <laughs> right, that's right. Uh, when I
1: got together with my partner, hey, I like that. Uh, (laughs) When I got together with my partner, I was like, you, I need to be clear that like, no matter where we live, as long as we have a couch, if like somebody in the community is having a hard time, like that couch is always there for them. Like I don't want anyone to experience being unhoused, uh, as much as I can help it. Um, And like, to that point too, um, I just keep thinking like what you're talking about of this thing around like, how much brilliance and innovation do we miss out on as a society when we are not like recognizing and like listening and believing and lifting up uh, people's full brilliance, Uh, you know? And and I mean, to your point, Ro, I feel like that like interconnectedness too of like the neighborhood that you were growing up in. Right, and how that shapes about like, well, that probably affected transportation options, healthcare options, education options, right? Housing, right, like all the things. And so I think people think so frequently, they were like, well, they like break down the issue as if like criminal justice is one thing. Courts, prisons, police, no, those are interconnected. They're also connected to healthcare. They're also connected to education they're also connected to transportation. And and this piece of like, we have to be able to connect the dots. And I feel like you sharing your story just connected that so well, uh, right? Of, of like, just that piece of like, well, if you don't have access to resources, how do like, stop talking about bootstraps when some people don't even get like, uh, what is that dental floss, uh, you
0: know? Uh, <laughs> I absolutely agree, and so that is what is so real to me because, you know, I am friends with people, I know people from all different walks of life, but I also know this very real experience of having grown up in a housing project of having grown up around people who were uneducated, didn't have the opportunities or the family background that I had. And so those things live with me um, and they are at the heart of all of my sense of advocacy and activism. But also growing up in this small town um, called New Bern, North Carolina, uh, on the coast of North Carolina, I was able to see, right, like these, I just say the juxtaposition of it all. Um, this town was very segregated, and I went to the more the, the elementary schools or the schools in the more in the predominantly white um, areas of town. And because of that, I have the education that I have, have the exposure to people from all different walks of life that I have. But to even hear your story, where you know there could have been a different trajectory for you also even though you may not have been in that same underprivileged uh, environment, provides a sense of connectedness. And so I stand in solidarity with you, Casey, as you are with me. And we have just made an episode of the Speaking of Solidarity podcast. Yay! So could I get you to tell us where we can find you on socials? Repeat that website. How do we connect with Casey after this episode? Uh, you can actually just find
1: Casey Tunnelly on Facebook uh, or like I, it is BT with Casey uh, on Instagram. Um, I'm also on LinkedIn and then my website is Com. And I just want to give a shout out uh, to you, Mo, because I feel like uh, you leaned in, you took a risk in like leaving a corporate environment at a time when we were in lockdown to start something new and powerful and authentic. And I just am so grateful that like you took that risk and you are getting to live more of your truth and create space where we all get to feel a little bit more interconnected. So thank you so much for being who you are and doing what you do.
0: Wow, that means a lot. Thank you so much, Casey. Guys, tune in uh soon for a new episode, <laughs> another amazing human. Thank you again, Casey, and I'll see you guys next time. Okay. Cool.